Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and this is podcast number 181. And in this podcast, I am lucky enough to sit down with Justin Dunaway and Morgan Denny. Justin is a PT who believes strongly in the power of physical therapy. He graduated from Youngstown State University in 2009 with a strong interest in manual therapy and shortly after took his first trip to Haiti. It was there he realized the truly life-changing effect physical therapy can have and the depth of need in a truly impoverished nation. When not in Haiti, Justin serves on the OAPT Government Affairs Committee in Oregon and enjoys running, climbing, and walking his dog, Kona. Morgan considers herself a PT with a minor in health advocacy. Graduating from the University of Montana in 2006, she has studied multiple facets of health and truly believes that the idea requires a big-picture attitude. And outside of physical therapy and her work in Haiti, she enjoys anything that gets her outside, including growing veggies and peddling anywhere and everywhere. And today we talk about STAND, the Haiti Project. You'll find out what STAND, the acronym STAND means um, during the interview. I don't want to give that away. Um, but it was founded by Justin and Morgan in late 2014 in order to create a growing system of rehab medicine in Northwest Haiti. And they have a focus on education and creating local clinicians. Stan brings medical practitioners, including PTs, prosthetists, orthotists, and general medical practitioners to Haiti. It's, it's a really great organization. They can use all the help they can get. You'll find out how to contact them uh, during the episode. Um, but what we'll learn is, in this episode, their most recent trip to Haiti, which was at the end of September... It's mind-boggling, the amount of people that they treat. Um, and it seems like the volunteers that go there come back with lifelong relationships and friends with the people who were there. We talk about how they get through the day with some of the things that they're seeing there. It's, it is just far different than anything you will see in the States. Um, so they talk about that volunteer experience. They talk about some really extreme patient stories. They talk about, they just had a Kickstarter that was successfully funded. So they're going to talk about that, the movie that they're making based on this last trip. And of course, you know, going back to, this is a non-for-profit, so they need your help. They need volunteers. They need donations. And you'll find out all about that in today's episode. Um, so moving on to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Community Board, uh, as you know, the last couple of weeks, I've been running, running a contest for a physical therapy or physical therapy assistant student to win their uh, way to CSM. So I was going to be providing their early bird registration money. I picked the winner on November 11th, which was a couple of days ago while I was in Florida at the PPS conference, which is the private practice section conference for the American Physical Therapy Association. And I just want to congratulate Melissa Mueller from the University of South Dakota because she will be going to CSM 2016 in Anaheim, California on me. And after that, she will be coming on the podcast to talk all about her time at CSM. So I'm really excited, really happy for her. And Erica Mello, who's a wonderful physical therapist here in New York City, is also took part in this. She has decided we picked a runner-up, which was Mark Kev, and Mark will get a $100 Visa gift card 
Thanks to Erica Mello. So congratulations to both of the students, to Melissa and Mark. And like I said, I was just at the PPS conference. Lots to talk about. Sandy Hilton and I were going around interviewing a lot of different people. And so I just have to edit that down and I should have that ready to go hopefully by next week. Um, So it'll be on my podcast. Hopefully it'll be on Sandy's podcast, which if you have not listened to it, Sandy Hilton and Corey Blickenstaff have a great podcast called Pain, Science, and Sensibility, and where they take an article, they review it. Um, it's really great, funny, fun. So um, if you haven't checked it out, go to iTunes and check out Pain, Sense, and Sensibility because it's a lot of fun because they're super fun people. Okay, so enough with the intro. Um, again, Great interview today with Justin and Morgan, and don't forget to stay tuned for Thursday because we have some really great, um, I guess, outtakes or the the quickies as my Thursday quickie with Justin and Morgan. It's going to be really good, really good, really informative. You'll get a little bit more as to some questions that I kind of had that didn't ask in the formal interview, Um, and we also get a quick little lesson in um, social media marketing. So stay tuned for that on Thursday. And in the meantime, enjoy this podcast. I am sitting here today with Justin Dunaway and Morgan Denny, and they are the founders of Stand the Haiti Project. Hey, guys. How are you? We're great. How are you doing? Doing well. Good, good. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about your latest trip to Haiti a, a little bit later. Um, but first, let's talk about how this whole thing came about. So, so who... Why Haiti, you know, of all the places in the world? So I'm sure there's a good story behind that. So I'll let you guys go ahead and tell it. You know, back in 2010, I was just looking for a volunteer opportunity. And I was struggling finding, you know, somebody that wanted somebody with as little PT experience as me. Um, and it just randomly kind of ran into a guy who was taking a PT to Haiti to work with amputees. And I signed up for that trip. And then, you know, once I got there, I saw this huge need and fell in love with the country and, and just wanted to do more. Um, and then since then, that was back in 2010, Morgan and I have been traveling to Haiti um, a couple times a year. And then in 2014, uh, her and I decided to um, start a new organization and really kind of build out what we were doing, but do it bigger and better. And um, that's kind of when Stan came about. And was this after the the earthquake that you went in 2010? Was that after the earthquake? Yes. Yeah, that was about six months post-earthquake. Okay. Okay. And go ahead, Morgan. You were going to say something? Oh, I was just going to tag on to the, the question about why Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a question that a lot of people ask, and I think it's a really interesting one. I think that neither of us really picked Haiti as being the neediest place in the world or the place where we could make the biggest difference. I think that for each of us, the opportunity just came about. And we said yes to an opportunity that we haven't said no to since then. Um, And I think that there are plenty of countries out there that could use the exact same amount of help. And there are plenty of places locally that could use the same services we provide. But we happened to say yes to an opportunity in Haiti and since then have just fallen in love with the people and the culture and seeing the changes that we could make is uh, pretty powerful. So, and, 
what kind of changes do you feel like you've made already? Well, I would say that there are short-term changes and long-term changes. Being there a handful of times every year, we can see what we do in one treatment session, which is very dramatic. Um, patients that walk in hunched over after years and years of chronic low back pain or worse um, often leave our clinic walking upright with a little, you know, a good stride and a little bit of happiness and hope. Um, we have a, a group called the, the Dancing Grandmas that have earned their name because they kind of portray that. You know, the, the older people that walk in and they leave basically dancing around the clinic because they feel so much better. And that's sort of a short-term viewpoint, which makes you feel good and is fantastic. But in the longer term, the some of the initial research we've done in reaching out to people after having care from us months later and seeing that they've maintained a lot of the um, a lot of the gains that we've gotten even in one treatment session is fantastic. And I think that the bigger aspect, the bigger goal to that is really that the people in Haiti are very hardworking but very uh, economically stripped. And so in Haiti, it's not just an aspect of taking away someone's pain, but it's really more about being able to give them back function and allowing them to be able to work harder, to function better in their community, to actually you know, bring home the bacon, so to speak, even though pigs are a smaller breed in Haiti <laughs> than here. But all the same, uh, it really, that's the bigger picture. And that's one of the bigger goals that we have is to really be able to affect the community and improve its economy not only by adding to it every time we go and employing people through our clinic and for our services, but really to be able to allow people to return to a richer life um, where they can just do the good old-fashioned hard work that they want to in order to support their families. Yeah, and I mean, that's the goal of, of every PT for their, for their client or their patient, right? So why should this should certainly not be any different? It's just probably a little more dramatic because Absolutely. they don't have these services on a daily basis, a weekly, monthly even basis. And we, we have a, you know, a kind of our, our tagline is movement is life. And it's, you know, it's kind of about a, a culture where, you know, when you get injured or you're disabled or you have pain or a problem, um, you don't get to take a couple weeks off from work. You don't get workman's comp and you go to the doctor and get some pills and maybe short-term disability. Um, you make the decision whether you can farm that day and feed your family or not. And it's, you know, the, the impact isn't just you. It's, it's you, your family, your community, everybody you support. Um, so being able to take somebody that, that literally crawls into your clinic and then get them back on the farm that day, um, it not only affects that patient, but their family and the community and the economy. And sure, sure. It trickles up and trickles down. Absolutely. Oh, right? nice. Mm -hmm. The trickle up and down effect. Up and down effect, yeah. <laughs> it trickles down to their family, trickles up to the community as a whole. So it's a, that's pretty powerful stuff. Now, how many times a year do you guys go down there? Well, we have three slated trips for 2016, and we are toying with the idea of a fourth one, but that's to be determined. Got it. Uh, we're there for two weeks at a time, and we generally have teams of around 20 clinicians at a time per week. And where where does all this take place? I we, mean, is it like a pop up shop? Is it you we've, know, uh, so we've we've leased a very large house on the very north coast of the island. Um, the first floor we've turned into kind of a waiting room and the the treatment clinic. 
the basements, the prosthetics and orthotics lab, and then the second floor is the dorms where all the volunteers stay. Got it, got it. And do you have a prosthetist that goes down there? Does a prosthetist live there? What's this? Well, we bring, so we have, um, we have a prosthetics lab and we bring prosthetists on every trip. Um, and we're actually able to, uh, we've kind of got the system narrowed down to where a patient, an amputee can come in, get casted, then they send the amputee home, they build the leg, they bring him back a couple days later, fit the leg, we gate train him, get him out the door without an assisted device all within a couple days. And we've done anywhere from, you know, two or three legs in two weeks to 15 legs in two weeks. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. The other cool thing is that we have begun to work with uh, some prosthetists that have been trained locally. There's a group called Healing Hands for Haiti that put on a training for prosthetic techs in the last year or so and trained 20 some odd prosthetic techs that are now, that are level two certified. And so on this last trip, what we did is we hired one to work with our prosthetist just to gauge sort of the level of understanding that they have. And the feedback was just amazing. And so we are super stoked to be able to not only work with him again, but potentially to bring on other prosthetic techs from the same program. And in the long term, depending on amounts of training and what kind of mentorship we can get down there as prosthetists from the States, hopefully to be able to give them a more uh, stable and consistent job working out of our clinic. Because... Our overall goal is really to have patient clinicians of all types working there all the time, not to bring volunteer teams to treat, but perhaps to mentor instead. Yeah, absolutely. And when you guys aren't there, is it empty? Is it closed? As, is it? As, yeah. As of right now, um, the, the space is empty. We have a family that lives there to maintain the property and kind of handles our logistics um, as kind of our contact person in Haiti. Um, we're currently working on projects with three organizations to get the space used um, a little bit more when we're not there. Um, one is through the prosthetist that we were talking about. One's through an organization that does some um, 3D printing. And then another is a person that runs um, orphanages for disabled kids and does a lot of rehab. And we're looking at um, trying to get an outreach program out of our space there as well. Got it. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And now let's talk about this most recent trip. So you went down at the end of September, correct? Yep. Okay, so let's talk about that trip because part of that trip was the, the Kickstarter campaign that you ran and was successfully funded. So congratulations on that and we'll talk Thank about you. that. Um, but let's talk about your time down there. How many people did you go with? You got caught in a hurricane. How did that affect the trip overall? Um, so go ahead. Let me, let me hear. Well... We we had um, a, we had two trips or a two week trip. Essentially, um, we had a team for the first week, a team for the second week, and a group that stayed for the whole round. Um, so we had a total of thirty volunteers from fifteen states that came down, and over the whole two week period, we had about thirteen hundred and fifty patient contacts. Um, we provided some clinical observation hours for local nursing. We sent teams into a local orphanage for disabled kids. Um, what else? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of work. That's 1,350 people. Wait, how are you not crying when you're dead? I would be crying. Like, obviously, I cry at the drop of a hat, it seems. But, <laughs> well, but how are you not, like, just brought to tears on a daily basis? Or yeah. are you? Maybe you are. I don't know. For one thing, we do not allow hats to be dropped in the clinic. 
So that really helps with the tears. Um, but <laughs> otherwise, I think the biggest thing is just we try to mentally prepare all our clinicians. Mm -hmm. And we tell everyone, and this is certainly true, that you will always run across patients that you can't do anything for. You will see extreme disability and poverty and you'll be interacting with these people on a one-to-one -one basis and there'll be so many so many aspects that you see that you won't be able to do anything about. But the flip side of that is that there will be people whose lives you save, that you change them and their life experience forever. And that really outweighs the negative and you just have to look at the global picture and stay focused on what you can do. Um, and the other side is the people of Haiti, honestly, even though they are struggling and they do not have all the things that we have, they're generally a really happy people um, that find joy in the simple things. And even when you're seeing patients that seem to you might, you know, not have any happiness in their life, they're not downtrodden. You know, they still have smiles on their faces and give you hugs and great thank yous. And honestly, I think that that's a big thing and can really kind of pull you up by your bootstraps and help you to keep working. Yeah. And it's, you know, you, yeah. sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, it's, you know, it, it does sneak up on you sometimes. Um, there's tears every trip um, from different people and it's, um, Morgan and I have been doing this for like 13 or 14 trips now. So our, our shock value goes up and up and up each trip. Um, but it's just a matter of really getting good at focusing on the things that you have the ability to change and trying to to not focus on the things that are totally out of your control. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And so, I mean, it sounds like these are pretty powerful trips, a lot of action, a lot of stuff going on. So in in your opinion, how do you feel like these trips have changed both of you, I'll have you answer individually, as clinicians, and then how has it changed you just as a person? So let's start with the clinician side of it first. Or maybe Ooh, it, maybe it hasn't. Works. I don't know. <laughs> I'm oh, assuming, no, it, I'm assuming has. it has. Do you want to first? You want me sure. to go? Um, you know, from a clinician standpoint, what's really interesting when you go to a culture that, you know, most of our patients have never seen a physician, have never seen a medical provider, um, have not gone to school live in an environment where most of the people in the area that we work maybe live in a hundred dollars or less us a year um, so it's a completely it, it's just a totally different different population and when you don't have the ability to stop doing what you do you really start to see a disconnect between pain and disability and what human beings are capable of i can think of a a patient that i remember he was a coconut farmer who had fallen out of a coconut tree several years before and broke his spine and his legs were paralyzed. And, um, you know, this was years before I met him and he didn't, um, you know, there was no doctors, no wheelchairs, no anything. So he shifted from being a coconut farmer to, to farming ground vegetables because he could crawl through the field and he was being treated in the clinic for wounds on his legs from crawling. Um, so it's, it's when you, when you encounter that kind of mentality and that, personal perseverance and, and what human beings are really capable of, it kind of changes your perspective on what we see here as clinicians and, and what, what people in the U.S. could be capable of if their will is in the right place. Yeah. Here, here. Yeah, beautifully said. Yeah, go ahead, Morgan. Um, I think on, the, on a different note, uh, one of the things that I felt 
clinically was clinically significant in my clinical practice after going to Haiti the first round that I can remember is really just that I trusted myself a lot more. And I think in going to way? Haiti in what way? Well, in Haiti you work with a translator. So you're one on one, so you, your translator, your patient. I guess that's one on one on one. Uh, so when someone, when your patient says something, they might go on for 30 seconds giving an answer to your question and your translator might turn to you and say, yes. You know, you're not getting the full story and you, you learn that their history taking and their ability to judge time is really different than ours is. And so you start to really rely on your senses a lot more rather than just the history that the patient gives you. Um, and the first round back from Haiti, what I realized is that I began to trust my hands in a way that I don't think I ever had as a clinician. You know, you feel things, you feel where things are stuck, stiff, wrong, uh, move too much. And these are all things that, you know, you learn in school or you say you do clinically anyway. But when you have nothing to go on aside from your hands and a little bit of information, it really can change everything and how much you focus on the feedback that you're getting. I also think that being in Haiti was different because the patients that came in trusted you beyond anything else. You know, you were this magic westernized white coat doctor, even if their scrubs were blue, and you were going to fix them. And having that ability and that expectation means that your patients allowed you to do everything that you really thought was right. You didn't have to have a discussion with your patient about the fact that manipulating their neck was going to help them. You simply said, you know, I'd like to do this, and they said, yes, whatever helps, whatever works, and you use that. And I think that as a clinician in the States before Haiti, there were times where I would give in a little bit more, you know, and not necessarily use a more aggressive treatment that was going to make a bigger difference in my patient's symptoms, simply because my patient might have been a little fearful. And so I think that having the experience of just being able to use the treatment that I actually thought I should without a fear of my patient's reaction to it or what they were going to think made me a lot more confident in making those choices back in the States and saying to people with that confidence, this is the treatment that I think is going to work the best for you and that's why I want to do it. Um, and I think that my patient care got a lot better after Haiti, even though I did not give me a very good taste for insurance companies coming back. Well, of course, of course. And now, do you think that the patients that you see in Haiti, you know, you said, you know, you're, you're sort of there as the white coat, the, you know, Western, more Western American mm -hmm. um, healers, if you will, physical therapists. Do you feel like, I mean, to me, there, there's a certain amount of placebo there happening as well, which is a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. I think that's yeah. a really good thing. Um, and do you think that that plays a big part into the patients that you're seeing, these 1,350 people that you're seeing over a two-week span? And how do you feel like that moves them on to perhaps the next thing in their life, in the patient's life? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> without a doubt. And this is a population that's, that's super active. I mean, a lot of the pain and disability is from a long life of, of hard manual labor beating your bodies up. These are people that, that farm and then load all their goods up on their head, walk through the jungle, up the mountain, down the mountain, five miles through town to the market, trade their goods, and then do the same thing back every day. So, I mean, this is not a desk job population. So, 
when um, you know when you do these manual therapies and you you kind of give them this this bump to get over that, and then they go back to their highly um, active lifestyle. It it definitely makes a difference. And for kind of the placebo effect, it's you know something that we always tell our clinicians to do is just at, as your patient sits. And this kind of re- does a really good job of zeroing everybody out on Wednesday when they're tired and they've seen a million patients. And you know, ask your patient how they got there and how long they waited in the lobby. And what you'll hear over and over again is, I walked for two days to get here, and then I waited in your lobby, or I waited in the line outside the gate at 4 a.m. for a couple hours, but I wasn't here early enough, so I didn't get a ticket. So I slept in town and then got here at 4 a.m. and got a ticket, and then I waited in the lobby for seven hours, and then I got to your table for 45 minutes to an hour of one-on-one time with the physical therapist. And it's... You know, if you just kind of flip the coin and think about what in your life have you ever believed in so much that you were willing to starve yourself for two days to afford the taxi ride to wait eight hours to get on the table? And it's, um, yeah, and when, when they come to the table with that powerful belief that, that what they're about to get is going to change their life and it gets them over the fear of their injury and the avoidant behaviors and you give them something that makes them feel better and you give them some education and, and then they get back out and move better and go back to their very active lifestyle. It makes a huge difference and it holds. So I think the expectation not only is huge, but it's hugely beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, ama- that's amazing. I did not realize that that's what people, I don't think I've ever had anything in my life yeah. that, I starved myself for two days and walked miles and miles and waited hours and hours for, days for, yeah. It's really interesting. In that moment, you know, that you are that person, the most important thing and the most, like, like the beacon of hope in that person's life. And we always tell the clinicians that, you know, in that moment, each patient, as you're the most important person in their life, they need to be the most important person in yours and you know, in that exchange, you have to give them everything you got. Absolutely. How do you not burn out from this? What do you guys do to keep yourselves, you know, well, sane? Drink a lot. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not editing do, that out. <laughs> well, we do tell our clinicians, you know, work hard and play hard. And I, I really do believe that the fact that at night we all hang out and we might have a case of beer from across the street. And, you know, whether we're nerding out and teaching each other clinical skills that we saw everybody use during the day or we're just telling stories or we go out and salsa dance, it's all good and it's all relaxing. And I think that just building that community within the set of therapists is really what keeps people rolling. I know that on days where I've felt super tired and I've had no sleep and I've had case after case that I'm feel like, oh, I'm getting all these impossible people that I can't actually help, you know, where you start to feel like you're failing or you don't have any energy. The best thing to do is just look around the room and see all these other therapists who are treating and there and doing that thing that you want to do. And it's, it's inspiring. And you kind of create a family around these people, you know, because it's a small subset of people that are going to actually understand the experience that you're having. And I think that building that kind of relationship with people really does keep you going. The other side of it is that most of our volunteers only come for a week, so you can do anything for five days. Absolutely. (laughs) No, that's very true. And then how do you transition back to your patients here in the States? Because, I mean, these are not people walking for hours and looking for you to be that beacon of hope necessarily. I mean, some are 
for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but is there is there ever that thought in the back of your mind like, oh, you don't have you have no idea, you know? You know I just saw someone last week who like this man couldn't was paralyzed and was crawling, you know? And and when you see someone come to you with maybe an injury that's not that substantial, I mean, does it ever cross your mind like, oh, come on? Like, get it together. Listen to this yeah. guy. Not that you would ever say that to a patient, but, you know, everybody's human. Like, does that ever... At, you know, it, it first, absolutely. My first couple trips to Haiti, it was like, you, you come back after a week of that, and then you go back in your office, and it's, you know, it's somebody that, that you know, twisted their ankle walking down their stairs, and, and now they're in an air cast, and it... it they limp a little bit and it's, they can't go to work. And it's like, you got, you have no, no idea. But then it's, you know, after you spend more time here and there and you really kind of start to dive into the culture and the differences in, in society and kind of the, you really realize how strong an effect culture has on pain and disability mm. and the United States culture and mindset is completely different than the Haitian mindset and, and, and culture and the needs are different and the, the, um, the things you have access to are different and I think that you know the ankle sprain patient here and the coconut farmer there their pain and disability on both sides are very real and very exactly what that patient is experiencing so I mean Absolutely. At first I was like, you people are crazy. But now it's like, you know, once you really see what culture does, it, it makes sense. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's culturally appropriate for our country and culturally appropriate for theirs. Sure. And a pain, I, someone's pain experience is their experience. You absolutely. Know? And, and you can't take that away from someone either, regardless of why they're in pain. No. And, you know, I think the other side of it is, to be able to bring those stories home, to give those to your patients, to give them a little bit of a reality check sometimes is really nice too. And that, that kind of makes it into a story where you're not judging them. You're not saying, oh, I know your tennis elbow must be terrible, you know, but you're saying, oh yeah, I just got back from this trip to Haiti. Yeah, you know, I saw this patient who, you know, had a spinal cord injury and these are the things that we worked on and this is what his life's like, but he's still happy and, you know, we managed to get him moving around and more functional in ways A, B, and C. And I think that even just that little reality check is really important for patients in the U.S. to realize how much they have and to not, not allow themselves to focus so much on symptoms when they don't need to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it just so, so much of this to me is so psychological the kind of going back and forth and the, the treating patients of different cultures and, and certainly vastly different injuries from, from what you'd see in the U.S., what you see there. And, and I think it's impressive that you can bridge the gap between those two places. So, and Matt, you've been able to take therapists and, and ex have them experience the same. I think it's really nice, very powerful stuff. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Now, <laughs> let's talk about the Kickstarter. So you had a Kickstarter um, that I said was successfully funded, and you brought a camera team down with you to Haiti this time. So let's talk about that. What, what did you guys do? Oh, man. Oh. Uh, well, we brought a really amazing photographer named Blaine Corey, 
whose production company is called Crazy Wake Productions, and he was incredible. He His ability to capture images and also just to be in the right place at the right time and put together some amazing photography is just going to be amazing. It's just going to be fantastic. Um, the idea is he is capturing the images and bringing it home to Rob White of White Lily Films, who is going to do the editing and put together some small videos for us to use in order to not only gain, you know, PT interest, but also get some sponsorship and just use promotionally generally. Yeah, it's, it's it's a was an effort to really try to bring home um, a, a way that we can spread some awareness about not only what's going on there, what healthcare is like, what access is like, but really the impact that that you can have going down and, and standing in front of a table and getting your hands on some patients. Um, and I think just like Morgan said, he did a fantastic job, and hopefully by the end of November, early December, we'll have some stuff to start showing people oh, to cool. really. Just try and, and bring home the experience to yeah, yes, absolutely. And it sounds to me like showcasing the hope and the positivity of the people of Haiti and and what you guys represent to them, and and then this kind of the stuff that we've been talking about, how you sort of change each other's lives so profoundly. I think would be really great to see on film. So I look forward to it. I don't know. I'm assuming that's what you're doing, right? We'll let him know that have <laughs> been established. Yeah. <laughs> Hope, hope, and, and all that, all that great stuff. So now you went down there. There was a hurricane. What do you do when Mother Nature doesn't agree? I'll tell you what you do. You take your tent off the roof. <laughs> we um, there's there because our clinic is right on the coast, and okay. in Haiti, a lot of people use their rooftops because it's a lot nicer, and there's a breeze, and it's less hot. Oh, you mean to a lot sleep? Of, yeah, we sleep oh. up on the roof. Okay. And so okay. not everybody. Not everybody, but like camping? Like camping yeah. in a tent? Yeah. Okay. Like camping. So the bathroom's inside, yeah. you know, yeah. but yeah. you have a nice open air dormitory space with uh -huh. your mattress on the roof or your tent if you prefer. And the night that the hurricane hit, there was just two of us or a couple of us tenting up on the roof, Justin and I and our friend Lauren. And when winds started to grow and perhaps top 50 to 60 miles an hour and our tents started smacking us in the face and trying to pick us up off the roof, we decided that was a good time to vacate yeah. <laughs> said rooftop. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's cool. I mean, we've got a really, really great, sturdy, amazing building. Um, so everybody was inside and we've got plenty of room inside for people to sleep. There's 25 mattresses or 30 mattresses. and. Um, and then it just rained and, you know, it was amazing. The building did great. It didn't leak. Water didn't get anywhere. You know, we're right on the coast and we've got these waves that are coming up over this back wall, second floor high and, and we just, everything was fine. And the crazy part is, you know, Morgan and I wake up in the morning and we hand out the tickets in the morning. And then, um, as we watch people cycle in, there was only a couple of people downstairs and we're like, man, everybody's not going to be able to get here because the roads are a disaster and it's going to be a slow day and we don't know what we're going to do with all the volunteers and we really need to be treating patients. And then by 6 a.m. there was 150 people downstairs waiting to be treated and the hurricane so didn't stop the patients. 
So how so, does this work exactly? So, exactly. so you, you mentioned a couple of times about giving out tickets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what we do is, um, you know, based on the size of the team and kind of how fast Morgan and I are, are doing more kind of logistic stuff than actually treating patients. So we kind of watch everything, see how fast patients are coming through the building, and then we can figure out how many patients we can see a day. And then um, in the morning, we'll go down and we'll hand out, say, 150 tickets to the guard at the gate. And then um, as people line up, he just hands out tickets and then lets people into the waiting area. And when he runs out of tickets, he closes the gate. Um, so it's a first come, first serve. And then once everybody gets in, Morgan and I triage everybody and set up the front table. And then um, therapists get their translator and start treating. And how do you spread the word? How do people know? How do the people in Haiti know? Well, we do some different advertising type of stuff. We usually put ads on the radio. There'll be flyers that are put up. We'll generally hire someone to go around with your standard bullhorn and walk through the markets just making announcements. Uh, and some people will walk by and will have seen the announcement on the clinic door and just know when we're coming. But a lot of it comes down to word of mouth. The first couple of days, those first 100, 200, 300 people that we see will go out into the market and tell people to say, hey, does your back hurt? You know, does your, that kiddo that you have that seems to have some problems, there are these people in town, you should go see them at the stand clinic. And so we'll get a lot of patients that are just word of mouth as well. And when you, so you, you bring these therapists down, last time you had 30, um, what is the feedback that you're getting from, from the volunteers, from the, the physical therapist volunteers? What are their experiences? Have you ever had someone be like, oh, I'm never doing that again? You know, I don't think we've ever had someone say, oh, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. But it's, it's certainly... It's varied in some way, but I think almost everyone comes out of it with a positive experience. I'll tell you what I've never heard. I've never heard someone say, I wish I hadn't done that. Mm. You know, it's, we, we try really hard to bring, because we bring physical therapists and nurses and nurse practitioners and PAs and orthotists and prosthetists. Um, it's, it's almost entirely physical therapists and then some of these other professionals. And we try to bring such a varied group that, um, you know, people of different levels of experience, different skill sets, different training, so that we've got so many people in the room that no matter who comes through the door, somebody in the building can do something for them. And what happens is it leads to this, this really great collaboration between professions of all these disciplines and then people hanging out at night and teaching each other tricks. And um, what we hear all the time is that, you know, I've learned all kinds of stuff that I never knew that I can integrate into my practice. And um, it was really... Uh, just an exciting, life-changing experience. It was amazing just to see what we have versus what is out there and, and um, how happy the people are even with what we consider to be nothing and the strong communities. and um, Volunteers generally have a really, really good time. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. good. Yeah. And so then what, let's talk about your next trip. When is that? January 22nd through February 7th. Yeah, so not so that's relatively not soon. Off. Yeah, yeah, it's not too far yeah. off. And yeah. do you have how do people if someone wanted to volunteer, how can they do that? Well, they could contact us through our website, which is www.standhatyproject.org, uh, or they can send either Justin or I an email. Uh, which I can tell you our email addresses. Yes, or please do. you can and just I'll, put I'll, them up on the site later. I'll, yeah, I'll put them up. I'll put them in my newsletter as well. But go ahead and, and say them anyway.
All right. If you want to contact me, Morgan, it is M Denny, M D E N N Y at stand the number four Haiti dot org. Justin. And I'm Jay Dunaway. It's D U N A W A Y at stand for Haiti dot org. And we also, um, I mean, we send out, we probably send out a thousand emails a day to random email lists we've generated. And we ask con ed companies to help get the word out. And we ask the APTA to get the word out. And um, we spend, I mean, there's probably a good five or six hours of every day that's just sending emails, making phone calls, interviewing volunteers. Because um, it's, it's hard to find 30 people to give up and come out for a week. What is the process to become a volunteer? Do you we, sign up and you're in? No, or, no, yeah. we're pretty selective. <laughs> um, you know, it's it it's important that when I when we put you on a table, you can make patients better all day long. And you know, there's only so much square footage. It's not like we can send you home and change it out. So we do everything we can to make sure that the people in the building are going to be productive and have good outcomes and treat the patients well. And it's um, you know, it's not really based on experience or training type. Um, you need to you need to be creative. You need to be able to think outside the box. You've got to be a little adventurous. MacGyver uh, PT. You got it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. You've got to be able. You've got to have great people skills and be able to interact well. Um, you've got to be able to handle the heat and the humidity and realize that there's there's going to be some things that are that are hard to see the poverty and famine and disability. Um, but essentially what we do is, is once we make the initial contact, we send out some information about the trip, a little bit more detail, and then we set up a phone interview, and Morgan and I will just kind of run through and get a feel for not just your skill set, but your personality and, and your work ethic and things like that. And if you seem like a, a cool, creative person that's excited and, and can make a difference, then you're in. Great. And what, is it, what do you guys hope for the future of STAND? Oh, and so, we, also, we were supposed to slip in what that means. Yeah, I was just about <laughs> to slip that in. So STAND is an acronym that means Sustainable Therapy and New Development. And one of the big goals of this organization is really to create Haitian clinicians that can provide the same kind of rehabilitative services that we do when we have treatment teams in town. So we work with a local nursing school that's called the Eagle Academy that in order to begin providing some of this orthopedic rehabilitative medical education. Justin and I have both been providing lectures there for the last couple of years, but what we're doing now is creating a curriculum along with Youngstown State University in order to really create an effective, efficient curriculum specific to Northern Haiti. Because over the last five years of working there, there's a lot that we've seen. We know kind of the ins and outs of what works and what doesn't work in the community, in that culture with these people. We know that you're going to see a ton of low back pain because of hard labor lives working as masons or farmers. We know that you're going to see you know, a lot of A and less of B. And so we're really able to curtail what these clinicians will need to know. Also, you know, if you can think decades back for me, into the PT school realm. There's so much fluff that we learn. And while some of it is really theoretical and interesting and makes us feel real smart, not all of it is necessarily important to know to be an effective clinician. And so we're trying to take the pieces that we feel are really pertinent and effective and put those into a curriculum that will be given to these uh, the nursing students in order that we're really providing or creating kind of 
this mesh together clinician that will have the best of both worlds, the ability to treat infection and understand general medicine, but also the ability to treat orthopedically uh, in the sense that our teams do. In the long, long term plans are really to be able to take these clinicians that then have under or underwent kind of that curriculum through their nursing school and be able to employ them in stand clinics so that when we bring treatment teams, they won't be so much treatment teams, but volunteers that are providing mentorship hours so that these clinicians can continue to get better, just like we'd have con ed and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And what do, what do you foresee as a timeline on that? And I don't know. Use. A few years. I mean, Plus, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. We're <laughs> right weeks. now. I mean, we're just in the we're in the beginning stages of building the curriculum with Youngstown State. We've already been. We've had a couple phone meetings and been down there for a pretty good meeting in person. Um, we Wait, met where with is Youngstown State. Is that in Ohio? Yep, yeah, Northeast okay. Ohio. Are you guys um, in Ohio? No, we're no. in Portland now. That's oh, Justin's alma mater, though. Yeah. Oh, it's your alma mater. Okay. All right. I was just trying to make the connection there. I'm like, you're not in Ohio because it's still light out there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's dark here in New York City. So, okay. All right. Got it. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, that's I'm right. So, we're, we're, um, we're just kind of in the beginning stages of building the curriculum. Um, the nursing program is a four-year program. And we're, it's probably for the ones that want to do the both, their program will be a little bit longer. Um, and we're just going to insert large blocks of curriculum um, and then provide clinical experience to go with it. But um, yeah, you know, we're, it's probably going to take a year or so to, to build it out. And then the first class will be, you know, four years after it's built out. So it's, you know, that's the long, long term. Mm -hmm. um, but we think it's important to not just come in and work, um, but we need to be able to to create these clinicians that can work year round. But the concept of creating jobs is real important for us too, because it's such a poor area that to be able to employ people and bring money into the economy and bring good jobs to people is super important. Um, on this last trip, we were there for two weeks and we hired over the two weeks, we had hired 41 locals to kind of work and help support um, the organization. And then what's great is then they can go back out in the markets and buy food and buy things they need and feed their family. And it, it increases the, you know, the economy and the, the health and wealth of the, the community just as well as what we're doing on the tables. Yeah. Trickle down effect there. Trickle I was down. just going to say trickle down. Um, so let's talk about how people can help you. What do you guys need? So how can people donate? How does, you know, what can, what can people do to, to keep growing stand to help to grow the community and that part of that region of the country? Um, well, we, we could use help in a lot of different areas. You know, we love when people help our social media along and just get it, get the word out more. So liking us on Facebook, sharing our posts, sharing uh, different stuff on Twitter, wherever. I mean, that's always nice because the more people that can get involved with Stan, the more people that know about it, the better our support group is. Uh, beyond that, giving us money is never frowned upon. And it is very, very easy to go to our website and go to the donate page and hit that really handy dandy PayPal button and give us as large of a donation as you feel you can. Um, while our volunteers each pay for their trip to travel, to keep our clinic open, the lease on the building for repairs, 
for stuff used to build the curriculum or bring us PT supplies or supplies for kiddos like wheelchairs or walkers or anything like that. We need funds and to be able to grow the organization, eventually have clinics, not just one clinic, but clinics in the area and be able to employ local clinicians will also take funding. So, you know, we love donations like most nonprofits. Um, the other thing is we love people to help us with fundraising or recruiting. So again, along the lines of social media or just getting the word out, the more people that can spread the word and say, hey, you seem to be an awesome physical therapist, orthotist, prosthetist, general medical practitioner. Would you be interested in volunteering? I just heard about this really cool organization called STAN that works in Haiti. You know, just getting the word out so that, you know, we have more and more people looking to help us, a bigger pool of volunteers to pull from. I mean, it really means that we can take our time away from searching for people to come with us and put it towards other aspects like building the curriculum and stuff like that. Absolutely. There's only so much time in the day, right? Ah, until, until you can clone yourself, you know, you got it. You need the help. Well, that's so, what Justin's working on right now. Oh, cloning? <laughs> yeah. Well, so we're, we're kind of running short on time, so... I guess the the fi my final question is what what are the big takeaways that you want people to come away with from today's talk? You know, I know. It's always it's, a toughie. <clears throat> you know, I think that that um, as American physical therapists, we all have more than we need. And we have the capacity to give back in some way. And, you know, whether it's this project or another one across the street or across the world, I think that some part of what we do regularly should be contributing to the bigger picture in some way. And kind of in our way in Haiti, the things taken our skill set that we have in the U.S. and, and providing it in Haiti, um, it really not only changes lives, but, but literally saves lives. Um, and to come down for a week and, you know, give up a week from your family and your job and, and stand in front of this table in this really cool clinic in this really cool town for a week, you will literally change and save lives all day long. Um, so one of the big take-homes I would love is if somebody listening to this went, you know, that sounds like something I could do. Let's, let's sign up and, and get out there and really, really try to make a difference in, in some lives in a place other than our own. I couldn't have said it better. I agree with that wholeheartedly, and I, one of my personal missions is to make it a more normalized part of our society, and especially our society as physical therapists, to just give back a lot more. Like Volunteerism shouldn't, it almost shouldn't have the word volunteerism. It should be mandatory, which takes away from volunteerism, but whatever. Everyone, as Justin said, should really give a little bit, and if we all just gave a little, it would mean a whole lot. Right, And so if your way could be giving your services to the people of Haiti, then great. If your way is going to be donating or giving to some cause that you believe in, whether it's stand or something else that's a viable, sustainable, really hardworking group, that's great. But everyone should take the time out of their lives, especially in this country, to really appreciate what they have and understand that that's a lot more than most people in this world have. Absolutely. So, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful takeaways. And so, Justin Morgan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience with, with everyone, with me and with the listeners. 
And again, if people want to find out more about STAND, they can go to www.standhaitiproject.org. Thank you. And thanks, guys. Thanks so much for taking the time out today. No, oh, thank, thank you. you. Uh, my pleasure. And everyone, thanks for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.